Hey, good afternoon, everybody. It is Luke and Eric here on Bible Banter. What's up, Luke? Hey, Eric, good to be with you. Glad to be with all of you. Excited for Bible Banter today. Bible Banter is going to be lit today. This is going to be a five-star episode. I'm, I'm predicting it. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've not had hardly any opportunity to talk about today's episode, but I, I've, I drank my Red Bull this morning. Um, I've drank plenty of water. I just had a hot pocket. I'm ready to, I'm locked and loaded, man. I'm ready to roll. You, you, you got, you got those hot pocket nutrients coursing through your veins. I like, did I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, but a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about at the dinner table. I forget why, but somehow Charles Spurgeon came up and covered. Oh, it's because I got the Charles Spurgeon shirt. Not today, but I've worn it on the podcast, I think a time or two. And uh, so the kids, the kids were like, okay, so who's Chucky, right? Who's Chuckles? And um, so we're talking about it. And I said, we asked Google, we got like one of those Google home things, because for some reason, uh, my wife thinks it's a good idea to have, you know, the government intrude on our space even more so. So we got the Google home thing or thingamajigger. And uh, so we asked Google what age he died at, you know, uh, Spurgeon. He died at age 57 from complications from gout. And I recently was thinking, like, I'm going to die at age 57 from complications of malnutrition because I, I have a steady diet of hot dogs and hot pockets. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a personal problem. The, the, there, there is, of course, the New Testament admonition to uh, give thanks in all things. So you can certainly still honor God for providing the hot dogs and hot pockets. But perhaps you should uh, ask him to provide some more leafy green. So here's, so here's a good question for you, Luke. What do you put on your hot dog? And I totally judge you based on what you put on your hot dog. Um, so you're, you're actually probably going to hate my answer even more than me just giving the wrong answer. I can eat my hot dog with just ketchup and mustard, or I can eat it Chicago style with all the veggies. Okay. All right. Well, or chili cheese. I, I like my hot dogs either plain. I can eat a plain hot dog and I can eat them. I like them with mustard and relish. That's acceptable. Ketchup is of Satan when it comes to hot dogs. Ketchup does not belong on hot dogs. It belongs on cheeseburgers. Now, now, if you like um, mustard and relish, what about a little bit of barbecue sauce on your dog? I can, I, I can mess with that. I can mess with. I, I like to change it up a little bit, but the one key thing is no ketchup. Ooh, salt pork and sautéed onions. I've never had salt pork on a hot dog. That sounds like perfect. Hot dogs are one of the most versatile foods. I want Bickford's hot dog. Yeah, yeah. He, maybe, uh, I don't know when you're going to see Bickford, but when it is, he needs to bring the dogs and needs to hook us up. I've just never thought to put salt pork on a pork dog. I mean, that's that's uh, I, heaven. I, right I don't know if I've ever had salt pork, or, or, or if I have, I guess I didn't call it salt pork. Maybe it was something else. All right, so, Bigford, Bigford confirms it isn't, in fact, amazing. <laughs> um, so we actually, so we're going to open up talking about how Black Lives Matter wants to rip down all of the Jesus statues. Yes, because and not we, only that, I read the article about it. He uh, well, because I, I looked at the tweets and because he tweeted about it, because that's how we communicate nowadays, right? That's how 
everybody communicates is they go on the Twitter and they put out their thoughts and then people interact with it. And, and to be honest, Twitter is a cesspool of hate and disgust. The only people that are on Twitter are terrible, awful people, which is why I'm on Twitter, as is this Black Lives Matter guy. So uh-huh. he says we should tear down the Jesus statues and tear and, and rip out of churches the stained glass windows that depict Jesus and his disciples as white men and women. Um, Luke, tell me why you think that's a terrible idea. Then I'll tell you why it's a good idea. Well, I'll be honest. I haven't like put tons of thought into that. Uh, it seems to me like it first to be a terrible idea because it is in fact, someone else's property. Uh, yeah. So, so, so the idea that you know they should be busting windows seems bad. The question, if you're asking the question of whether the churches should remove those things, no, I, I don't think so. I don't see any reason to. I'm sure you can give me one though. Yeah. So, so first off, let me let me give, begin with this. No one has any right over your property. So, assuming these statues and the stained glass windows and whatever belong to the church and the people of the the congregation then no one has a right to do anything to it other than those who are in that congregation. I mean, we can all agree with that, right? Like that's destruction of property is stealing and it is sinful. Like, I think that's kind of a commandment, right? That's Uh, pretty straightforward. You're not going to get an argument from me on this. Okay. So now can I tell you why I am pro getting rid of Jesus statues and stained glass windows? You sure can. Okay. Because I believe the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I love Jesus and I love God. So in my love for God, in my love for Jesus, I seek to obey what he commands. Not just the things that are convenient for me, um, but the things that even might be a little bit challenging. Uh, when God says, do this, I go, all right. I don't totally understand why, but um, you command it, Lord. Then I shall follow. Um I do recall, it's been a while since I've glanced over the Ten Commandments, but there's one, uh, the second one, that comes right after, don't have any other gods before me. And you know what it says, Luke? Uh, no, must, no, no ketchup on hot dogs. Uh, no, that's the 11th commandment. Okay? No, the second commandment is, thou shall not have any graven images of anything above or below. God desires to be worshipped in a way that does not include, you've guessed it, images. So I look at statues, and and, and by the way, this is an orthodox um, uh, belief. This is right in line with, with the London Baptist Confession of Faith, which we talked about last week. This is along the line of the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is along the lines of Reformed theology, Orthodox Reformed theology, that um, statues and depictions of God are, in fact, sinful. That's not how God desires to be worshipped. So um, we should tear down those statues because the statues are an idol. Yeah, I I don't know. Again, I don't know why you picked this as our introduction, considering we have, you know, a lot of other heavy material. Because I know it's an unpopular opinion, and I like Uh, to go against the grain. I I would love to discuss this in depth with you at some point, because I do do appreciate your point that we should take seriously all that Scripture commands. It does seem to me that you are conflating worship with the creation of any kind of an image. 
Uh, you seem to be assuming that if someone has Jesus in a stained glass window, that they're worshiping that image. And that seems like a pretty faulty assumption. No, no, no. None of my assumptions are faulty. Let's get that straight, okay? <laughs> um, this is not something – I joke about it. Uh, you know, Bickford and, and, and Tom are watching this right now. I can see that. And they know that I joke about this all the time. Um, I am so I am somewhat serious there. I do think that we have we have a tendency towards idolatry, and as such, we also have a tendency to um, to to try to seek God on our own terms rather than His. And I think that's the main point of, yeah. of the Second Commandment and how it's applied. So, so, so while I while I don't appreciate your insinuation that everyone who disagrees with you on this point doesn't love God and doesn't love Jesus and doesn't read the Bible. Um, I, I do appreciate the seriousness with which you take that commandment. Uh, there's a real, I, Ooh, this is interesting. Whenever Bickford speaks, I try to shut up and listen. Icons were not formally accepted as an appropriate within the context of corporate worship until second council. Um, so I, there, I guess there is some interesting church history when it comes to this stuff and perhaps the apostolic fathers would be on your side, Eric. Uh, yeah. I, 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 when in doubt, when in doubt align with the apostolic fathers, that's just my, that's my, that's my saying, that's kind of a little ditty we have around the house. Hey, when in doubt, go with the apostolic fathers. My kids don't even know what the apostolic fathers, fathers are. Will you, will you let me finish the compliment? I appreciate the seriousness with which you take um, the, the, the scriptural commandments. It, I think in this case you're wrong, but your attitude is right. That there, we should never use cultural convenience as a reason to basically wipe away scripture. So um, I think these questions are worth asking. I'm not willing to try to ask them in what's supposed to be the fluffy intro. <laughs> we're, uh, now we're already 10 minutes in and we haven't even touched our main topic. Okay, so so what do you have a fluffy idea about? I'm not By the way, our main, our main topic we're covering over the course of three to four episodes. So, what do 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 you want to get a bit of a difference between kissing icons and having a stained glass window? Do you want to? We can get into the second commandment stuff today if you want. No, 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 no. That's okay. No, we'll get into it. We will. And you were supposed to write. You had Luke um, asked me about something. I wrote a paper a few years ago when um, I, I took a, a seminary class on the Swiss Reformation with a focus on Jean Calvin or popularly known as John Calvin. And uh, I, I wrote a paper, about 18 pages, on his view of the Second Commandment, which really convicted me. Um, and I shared it with you. And have you read it yet, Luke? I will read it just as soon as we schedule an episode on this. And then I'll do my homework and I'll be ready oh to go. Goodness. Oh, my goodness. You don't get to tease me about reading things today, okay? Oh, yeah. yeah. Why is that? I, I'm not going to brag. Okay. You, know, you and I know. Okay, well, I, I just want people to know Luke actually read a book and then uh, quoted it. I didn't know who the author was and was ready to give a great uh, compliment to whoever the, whoever the author was. And then he told me who the author was, and I was like, nah, that guy's a joker. So um, <laughs> a broken we, clock is even right twice a day. So that we can be a little less cryptic, I read a book that Eric wrote. And I sent I sent him a quote, and uh, I, Eric said, "Ooh, that's good. Who wrote that?" I, said, <laughs> I really didn't know. <laughs> you wrote that. Um, see, you see what you've done, Eric. Now in the comment section, you've started this squabble about 
the second commandment and icons, and we don't have time to talk about it properly. Why couldn't you just have saved it for another day? Because I, I like to start arguments and then walk away and see what happens. <laughs> good, good, luck. Good, good arguments. I talk. I mean, I'm in a I'm in a face group chat with with Tom and, and Bickford, and and we go. Sometimes we'll go days without talking, and then um, I'll hear my phone dinging in the middle of the night, and it's one of them sharing something. Um, so well, we've talked about this in depth. Let, let's let's do this. Let's commit to. Um, so we've got a few weeks sort of lined up, and then I'm going to be gone for a few weeks. And when, as soon as I get back. Let's commit to doing an episode on the second commandment. Well, maybe so. Just so the people know, you're going away for three weeks. Um, you're the only pastor I know that gets three weeks vacation. You lucky duck. Oh no, um, no, 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 no! I I don't get three weeks vacation. I get one day of paid time off every month, and I just hoard it. Oh, okay. So you're you're would you? Isn't hoarding like kind of an application or or a a furtherance of idolatry? An outflowing of it. <laughs> I, I'm sure in your head that connection made all the sense in the world. That was just the most the most pseudo intellectual gobbledygook I've heard all day. That's all I spew is gobbledygook. <laughs> so, um, so what else is going on in your life, man? What's light and fluffy? What's 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 going on in the world of Luke Copeland? I don't I don't know why you're postponing the Trinitarian discussion so much today. Uh, I've got a I've got a little how's bit. Your of, uncle, how's your uncle Ken? My uncle what? Ken Kenneth. Oh, you're in rare form today. This is going to be good. No, no, no. I'll, I'll, one thing that happened in my life, which is why the show is happening at an unusual time today. Eric was very gracious and moved it an hour early because uh, my sweet daughter Harper. Uh, twisted her ankle pretty bad, and so she's going to go see the bone doctor today. Hi, Laura, and uh, I got to get home a little earlier so that she can go see the doctor. She's doing okay, but hopefully she didn't break anything. Feel free to pray for Harper and her ankle. How old is she? Five. Ugh, it's tough when they're that young and they get it. It's tough whenever the kids get hurt. She She's handling it pretty well. I, I don't, she's, got a, she's got a pretty good life, you know. Mm-hmm. I, take her take her to uncle kenny and have uncle kenny um you know do some healing on her <sighs> do i acknowledge the joke and encourage you to make more of them or do i just move on and pretend it doesn't bother me uh how about we get into the the uh main discussion we wanted to get actually i need to be polite eric what's going on in your life uh, not much, man. The Premier League started, so I've been watching some soccer in, in my off time. Uh, got I get to play some hockey tonight. I'm gonna strap my GoPro. I got a new GoPro, which I've been using. You can uh, I've been putting some videos on Facebook with the kids in the car. So we've been driving around and just talking, riffing on stuff, talking about Jesus, and really exciting for the people that are members of my church and you can if you if you're not a member of our church you can, you're more than welcome to go and f- subscribe to us on YouTube but pretty soon I'm I'm trying to schedule some time where I'm going to be reading uh Pilgrim's Progress which is a classic work of Christian literature by John Bunyan he was a puritan but um his work was redone by our good friend Paul over at Reftunes 
So Paul Cox uh, did like made a children's story. Well, it's initially kind of a children's story anyway, but it's been done for the last couple of hundred years where they've turned it into a children's story. So instead of it being a, a, a book, it's more of like a children's book. And um, there's tremendous artwork in it. And he gave me permission. I got the digital download and uh, I'm going to be having it on my screen, screen sharing and then reading it as we're going through it. And it's going to be, I'm really excited for that. So he, you have to have the copyright, you know, you have to get permission. So he gave me permission as long as uh, I push people to go purchase his book. So you can go to reftoons.com and go purchase Pilgrim's Progress. If you have kids, or even if you don't, it is just a, it's a good work. And if you have kids and you haven't bought it for them, I don't know why you hate them. Um, if you have kids in your life, it's a great Christmas present. Uh, it's just a, it's a tremendous work that really, unfolds for you what the christian life looks like it's an allegorical story that sounds actually pretty cool uh before we get into our topic today i do need to share a quick thing with you you mentioned hockey so i learned something new last week about hockey i had no idea how complicated the uh unspoken unwritten rules about fighting were oh I yeah first, first off when you're 32 years old and you're not playing professional hockey Pretty much if you get into a fight, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, 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 chill. We're not playing for the cup. I always yeah. thought it was just like, okay, two the hockey players got mad and now they're fighting. No, there's a system of enforcers and infractions. And it's, it's, it's like its own justice system built into the game. Yeah. Uh, Brian, it, no one's really arguing too much uh, about the Trinity except for those who are unorthodox. We kind of settled the Trinity – uh, 2000 years ago. Just... <laughs> Easy. Let's at least have the discussion before we assume the answer. <laughs> well, um, but yeah, I mean, in uh, in adult league, or it's also referred to as beer league, because a lot of the guys would be in the locker room either before or after the game having a brew. Um, it's uh, there are the occasional fight, you know, guys get out of hand. Someone takes a cheap shot at you and, and you kind of, you, you throw the, you throw the hands, man. I've not been close to, I don't think I've been close to getting into it. Not like really. I've gotten it like I've gotten into someone's face before when they've been a little uncharitable and they've been cheap. But hey, that's hockey, man. You got to live with it. It's a physical sport. So we don't hit. We play in, in a non-contact league, but they're still contact. So. I, yeah, I, I seriously doubt that a bunch of men playing hockey go by no contact rules. Well, it's a penalty if, if you do hit someone. So you have to be careful. Um, so yeah, let's get into the Trinity, man, because it is, it is a good thing just so that people, um, are reminded you can go and follow us on Apple podcasts. What? Oh, I can't point to it. Luke, can you point to it? Apple point to Apple podcast. There you go. Boom. Right there. You can go to Apple podcasts, go subscribe and like it. Give us an honest five-star review. You can also go to our Facebook page right there. Right there, you can go to the Facebook page, Bible Banther, and uh, go like that page. And then over here, you can go follow us on Patreon and support the podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you guys for all the ones that are already a part of the Banther Club. Y'all are amazing. So, uh, Eric, we're going to be spend a few weeks talking about uh, the Trinity and various uh, sort of subjects within it. But I guess the first big question is, why do we feel the need to talk about this? Um, because essentially it is foundational to our faith, to our belief. So uh, you're talking about the nature of God, who God is, 
you're talking about whether or not Jesus was created, the Holy Spirit, whether or not he was created. Are we talking about um, there are a whole lot of heresies. So, in fact, when you look at the Nicene Creed and you look at Orthodox um, Orthodox understandings of the Trinity, you're speaking more about what God isn't than what God is, because we know more about what God isn't. Um, and we're also taught we're also in a sphere of which the late R.C. Sproul would call a paradox in which sometimes things that are seemingly contradictory aren't. And, mm -hmm. and that's part of the aspect of the Trinity. It's not a suspension of belief, but understanding that there is a mystery to God because he's an infinite being and we are finite beings. So when we're talking about the Trinity, we're talking about the, the nature of God, who he is and um, who the three persons are and how they, how they interact in their, their oneness, but also their threeness. So obviously part of the reason we're talking about this is because of its essential nature to Christian faith. I think the other reason we need to acknowledge that we're talking about us is because of the theological state of our denomination. Um, and uh, I, I'm not ashamed to be an Advent Christian. I'm very thankful for the Adventist movement and the way that it especially reinvigorated this idea of the imminence of the coming of Christ. Uh, However, I do acknowledge that we've had quite a checkered theological history, and it's really coming to a head and coming to a point right now. Uh, in some ways, uh, it's, it's interesting that they had to postpone the triennial because I suspect there would have been some fireworks given what took place at the last one. I don't. I don't see why there would be. I thought it was settled. Uh, the only issue that we have, so we adopted a statement of faith that is explicitly Trinitarian and right in line with Orthodox um, theology in that regard. But there is no teeth to it, right? So you can still uh, be in an Advent Christian church and still be an Advent Christian pastor. Um, your, your doctrine or your statement of faith within your church doesn't necessarily have to line up with the Advent Christian statement of faith. Uh, in order to be in the denomination. So that's kind of the, the issue that we have. It's settled doctrine for us here as Advent Christians, but it, if you divert from it, there's no, there's no uh, it, it, enforcement. I, I'm so interested. I'm so, you know, kind of fascinated to hear you talk about this being settled when you're the one who goes on all the time about the fact that there's nothing binding about it. I'm not sure how you can say that it's settled and I'm not even necessarily making the argument that it needs to be binding. You're the one who goes down that route. Well, but it should be. I mean, if you can't, if you can't be bound by the faith, right? So Paul talks about this numerous times that we're that we are held together by the faith, and central to the faith is the central to the gospel itself is the nature of God in the Trinitarian God, and it's and it's littered throughout Scripture. So to reject the Trinity is to reject God is to reject Christ. So it is, I mean, it should be binding. Like if you can't, uh, if it's like if, if certain things need to be binding, right? We've talked about this, the theological triage, first level, second, second level, and third level or tiers of belief of the faith. And first order is, this is what makes a Christian. Second order is, this is what makes us uh, a church, right? And then third order, this is a, a place where we show a great deal of charity. So this is very much a first level. And in fact, in the first level of doctrine, this will probably be uh, like the first thing that you cover, right? In, in fact, if I read someone's statement of faith, this is usually um, one of the top two things. It's usually uh, the nature of God or it's going to be um, 
the script their belief about the scriptures yeah so tom tom uh seems to think that the statement of faith despite the fact that it's not binding is in fact uh it's sufficient to say that the matter is settled um Tom's uh, coming I, out swinging today, man. Now, I, I know that Brian's going to have some interesting things to say. I want to start with the thing that he's starting with, which I think we do need to can I Can I at least tell a funny story? Yes. That has to do with the Trinity? Of course. Okay. So I did promise I'd tell this story. So we're going to talk about Great Saint Nick. You know what Great Saint Nick is famous for, Luke? <sighs> uh, Easter baskets. No, that would be the Easter Bunny, which... If my wife is watching, she hates the Easter Bunny more than anything, okay? <laughs> she hates the Easter Bunny more than I hate heretics, okay? So let's – and those who violate the second commandment. So um, we are talking about St. Nicholas, okay, who uh, many people attribute to being Santa Claus, all right? So Santa Claus – um, I'm, pulling, I'm pulling this short excerpt from, a, uh, from an article on Christianity Today. Another famous story tells of a feisty interaction between Nicholas, referring to St. Nicholas, and the heretic Arius at the historic Council of Nicaea in A.D. 325, the very first ecumenical council. Now, it's interesting, Luke. Before, before I move on with the story, it is interesting to me that the very first ecumenical council addresses what issue? Uh, the nature of Christ. The nature of Christ. The Trinity. So it is kind of important. They thought it was important then. We think it's important now. The very first ecumenical council. In this decisive council, Arius taught that Jesus was not co-equal to God, the Father, but was created by him. Unable to restrain his dispute with Arius, Nicholas approached Arius and slapped or punched him in the face. <laughs> this the bishop's loss of cool shocked his contemporaries though today many relish in the fact that santa claus himself was a staunch defender of christian <laughs> orthodoxy i'll tell you what if if saint nick played sports you know what sport he'd play Bye. hockey man he'd be a <laughs> hockey player he's he's throwing hands over stuff man this is the unwritten rule <laughs> Uh, as 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 a uh, a true Advent Christian and a pacifist, I do not uh, ordain. I, I do not. Uh, what's the what's the term? Uh, I do not condone uh, Santa Claus's use of violence to promote Orthodox uh, theology. But to to get, I want to get back to Brian's first point here, which uh, I think I think we do need to sort of recognize something here um, about the history of the denomination. He makes the point that uh, when it comes to Adventists, and not just the original ones, but really throughout history. We have some who accept the doctrine and some who reject it, and I think in some ways some of the um, some of the argument here we we end up arguing about denominational history rather than uh, biblical doctrine, and I yeah. think I think that's something we want to try to avoid in this discussion. Uh, and, and so I want to make it clear to maybe some of the non-trinitarians who might listen that we acknowledge Eric and I both acknowledge the history of the denomination. And we want to be winsome. Well, like, like I joke, I joke. I don't want to punch anybody in the face. Okay. Um, I really don't. I love you. I care for you, which is why this is so important. Right. But, but the point I was making is that Eric, you and I both recognize the history of the denomination and we're not trying to deny it. Like neither of us is going to say, well, no, uh, this, this was, uh, Adventism from the beginning. That's actually not what's 
on the table. Um, the question is, what is the clear teaching of scripture and are we going to defend it as uh, individual Christians, as local churches, and as a denomination? So I think we need to acknowledge the history of the denomination. I, I think it would be silly for us to try to deny the, that um, the, these other views of the nature of God or of Christ have been not only present, but in many cases uh, common. I mean, there, there was a point at which non-Trinitarianism was much more widely held within the Evan Christian denomination. So this is not a discussion of denominational history. We acknowledge the history. Um, we are, in fact, uh, uh, trying to make an argument against the historical view uh, into what we would consider to be orthodoxy. Now, now let's let's just talk about let's talk about this, right? So, so the question is, because I think I'm reading some of the comments, it's hard to keep up with all of them, um, especially between Tom and Brian. And I appreciate them. I don't know Brian all that well. I know Tom's heart. He he is a loving and caring man. He no no one loves the Advent Christian Church more than Tom Laundry. I promise you that. Um, he loves our denomination, serves on the executive council, great brother in Christ, um, for the most part. And I'm just kidding, Tom. Um, so it, we want to be careful um, because, you know, we're not. Here's the thing we have to look at it this way as far in regards to our denomination. Right. So we recognize our past. And one of the things I appreciate about our past is that we do have in a, an open dialogue where we're, we're unafraid to challenge things, right? We, we say, hey, this right here is my, this is the only true um, rule for faith and practice, right? Is the scriptures. So we go to the scriptures, we reason from the scriptures, but we should be unafraid to say, listen, what you're saying is not what the Bible teaches. And, and, and we reason from that. Now there does come a point inevitably where we're yoked together under the, the banner of Advent Christendom or the Advent Christian church. And we go, um, and we have things established, right? So we do have, although it doesn't come, it, it's not a hierarchy, but we do have organization, the organization at the top um, uh, that binds us all together. And they hold a certain statement of faith that says, this is what it means to be Advent Christian. Right. And it was affirmed by the delegate body. So that was brought before our delegate body at the last triennial in 2017. I was there. I spoke on behalf of the Trinity. Um, there were a few who spoke against it, but it was overwhelming the amount of people that affirmed the Trinity and the statement of faith. And even the majority of those who didn't affirm the statement of faith said they verbally said they did so because they reject um, the, they reject any form of a creed. Um, so, and we, and you and I have talked about trying to have someone on that could share kind of that perspective. So I don't want to misrepresent yeah, no, right now. Let's not try to attack creedalism today. I'd like to have a non-creedalist here when we do that. And maybe yeah. at some point we'll bring on a non-Trinitarian too. Um, I think what we're trying to do today is just to begin this discussion. And I think there's something else we need to acknowledge. Um, so we've acknowledged, you know, the history of the denomination and that that history does is not what makes doctrine right. By the same token, and I'm, I'll be curious to hear what you think about this, Eric, because I think you have a bit more um, reverence for early church councils than maybe I do. It is also not the history of the, of the larger church 
that determines truth. That the reason that we say this is orthodox, as you mentioned earlier, is because of our study of scripture. It's not because of, at least in my view, it's not because of the church tradition which establish it as orthodoxy. Because I think that's the other thing we run into a lot when we have this discussion with non-Trinitarians is um, we, we end up having arguments about uh, councils and sometimes about terms too. Like I, I, I'm, I'm fine with, with um, someone saying, okay, Trinitarian's not a biblical word. Fine, tell me what John 1 is saying, right? Mm -hmm. So let's not argue about the term, which is admittedly extra biblical. Trinitarians acknowledge that. Let's ask, what does the Bible teach? So, and on the one hand, we have the history of the denomination, which we acknowledge, but does not determine orthodoxy. On the other hand, we have sort of the history of orthodoxy within the larger church, which we also acknowledge, but which in my view also does not determine orthodoxy. Um, what we have is scripture. However, and this is where I object to many of, of my um, non-Trinitarian and even sometimes some of my non-credalist friends. Okay, we all agree that the Bible is the sole rule of faith and life. But at some point, we have to talk about what does the Bible teach, especially about something as important as the nature of Christ. And as you brought up earlier, talking about those early councils, really the primary, the primary issue when it comes to these discussions of Trinity and the nature of God, the primary issue is, in fact, the nature of Christ. And it matters what we believe about Christ. We call ourselves Christians. Yeah. Well, before, because I, I, I figured we could probably open up to Genesis 1 and then John 1 um, to, to kind of kick this discussion off. And, and we're probably going to have to put the Blessed Hope Catechism off for today, just, just for time's sake. Uh, but the reason we want to interact with historical confessions and creeds and whatnot, and why it's important to study historical theology, is that it allows us to have a conversa conversation with those who have essentially handed the faith down to us, right? So we, the, even the scriptures have been handed down to us from the first century, and, and the Old Testament even longer, further back than that. So what we're doing in in opening up these creeds and confessions in reading what great authors and scholars and theologians and pastors of old have had to say is that we're conversing with them. And it's one of those things where you can uh, ask questions of the text and see if the author answers it. And, and if not, maybe you have found a deficiency or maybe they just weren't intent on, on answering that question um, because you can't answer every single question in every single work or else everybody would have to list all of their beliefs in everything they write, and it would just be ridiculous. So, you, you know, you have to look at um, what the question is the author's trying to answer, and do yeah. they do that, and do they do it from Scripture? Right. So, of course, of course, we, you know, we adhere to um, the Nicene Creed simply because we believe that it teaches what the Bible says mm -hmm. about the nature of God. That's it. And they affirmed that in 325, and later on in the century, they had um, they came together to reaffirm. So um, these these debates can be very passionate. Uh, the reason it's passionate is because God has given us a heart to love Him. And we're passionate in defending Him, but we also need to temper that passion and remain um, cordial and godly and loving and kind in the midst of these conversations. Yeah, and and, and one other comment before we dig into the scriptures, because that's I really want to do that with you. I think your comment is you made earlier is really important about the fact that while while I'm not necessarily uh, I don't necessarily line up with the denomination's history of 
openness, I do think you're right to acknowledge that there is a willingness within this denomination to allow for real open discussion. Like I've, I've never known the benefit of hiding um, a theological view, mm -hmm. right? Because even if it's wrong per se, you can't be corrected unless you say it out loud. So I, it, it is important that we have this discussion with grace um, and, and with charity because I think it is actually worth having the discussion. I, you, you obviously say, you know, say it in jest, Eric, but in all seriousness, just calling someone a heretic and throwing them out of the room um, doesn't really do much to uh, help them. If you're able to actually have a discussion with them and if they feel free to voice honestly and openly uh, their theological views, that's when you can have something constructive. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, our statement of faith isn't perfect. I'd like it to be more robust. You know, I think I think there's more um, meat that we can put on the bones. And, you know, I think that sometimes we I think on certain aspects of our statement of faith, maybe we we emphasize sometimes the wrong things. So um, I, I like I like Palma's comment. I came to belief in Trinity through loving teachers who let me ask questions. That's good. That's good. So uh, how about you want to read Genesis one, one through two? And I'm, then I'm I'll happy read, to do that, but you're very particular. So does it need to be in the Eric standard version? You can read, listen, as long as it's not the heretical NLT or NIV. <laughs> out, of, out of one side of your mouth, you talk about charity and grace. And then out of the other side of your mouth, you call the most commonly used translation in Christendom uh, heresy. I, but it's changing. I, it, the ESV is, is, is coming up. It's, it's, you know, the ESV is what the NIV used to be. So I would say the NIV is only the most used translation because for uh, there's more boomers in the faith, I think, than there are millennials and younger. And those who care for um, a good translation that are younger typically trend towards the ESV, I think. Uh, Eric never brought up the KJV. Well, Bickford, that's because like I just feel that, uh, you know, the, the authorized version you know, as many people refer to it as, it's 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 a trope. I mean, everybody makes fun of the KJV nowadays. So I gotta I gotta up my game. Yeah. So let me let me make a quick comment to Brian, and then we're gonna get into the scriptures. That's what we're really here to do. Okay. Brian, I would encourage you to do this: participate in this discussion, because if nothing else, maybe at the end of of, of these next few weeks of discussion, you will understand why. Can I just you point know, one thing out? Can, huh? can, I just point, can I just point one thing out about Brian? Hold on. Let, me, let me finish my statement, then I want, I, I want to let you speak. I'm not saying, Brian, that you'll necessarily agree, right? But I think when we're done with this discussion, you will understand why it's so important to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say in conversations with people even older than I am, that for a long time, uh, there have been a number of pastors in our denomination who have suggested that the reason that, our, that we have not been more fruitful uh, as a people is because we've lacked a firm stance on, on the orthodox understanding of the Trinity. So to Brian's point, it's not the fact that you're trying to um, make the denomination more fruitful by, a, by changing the statement of faith. Uh, this isn't really something that's causing all too much divi division, especially, I mean, I think Tom could probably correct me, but I think we, out of all the people that went to Triennial, it was affirmed by over 87%. That's pretty definitive. That's that's excellent. So, 
Go ahead. All right. Genesis chapter one. Which verses do you want me to read? I I mean I think one through two. Oh, is KJV more commonly used than the NIV? That's fascinating. I honestly did not know that, Bickford. Thank you. All right. Here comes Bickford in like a wrecking ball. No, that what he dropping those knowledge bombs, man. All right, we got 20 minutes, man. We got 20 minutes. You gotta go take care of your daughter. So let's go. Let's pick it up. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay. And then John one. Okay. One through five. Yes. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, between these two pictures, right? So, it is very important to understand that the evangelist John is writing specifically and pointing towards the creation account. So here we have in the first five verses of the gospel of John, this is the gospel that we often say, this is the one, his primary purpose is to reveal to the audience the deity of Christ, right? So the gospel of John is incredibly important for us. And he's looking back towards creation. That's how he chooses to begin his account of the life of Christ. The life of Christ began without any beginning. He's referring to in the beginning. Um, and we look at the first three words in the Old Testament are in the beginning. So before this moment, before in the beginning, there was nothing but God, right? So no one made God. God has been eternal. He's always been. And we see that in the beginning, creation happens, and we have three persons that are actively present and working. So first, God is the architect. God the Father is the architect of all of creation, right? So he has the grand plans. He's like the, the engineer who has the plans on his screen. And the, the one in which everything is made through, like, right? So everything is made through the Son, Christ. We see that in John 1. And the one who's actually forming it, so right? So um, the one who's molding it is the Spirit. So we see even in the creation account, the the work of the Trinity. Now, uh, now you, you, you'll have to forgive me for, and this is where this, maybe we are the best two people to have this discussion, because I feel like you have a lot of this more fleshed out than I do. Um, I, have a, I have an honest question about Genesis chapter one, verse two, where it talks about the spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. I know that it says uh, elsewhere in scripture that God is spirit. So is there any textual reason that we necessarily interpret that to mean the Holy Spirit rather than a reference to the Godhead? When it says the spirit of God hovering over the water. Yeah, so I, uh, it's been a while since, I, since I've uh, really hit that and in, in, in I am not a Hebrew scholar, although I know uh, Bickford likes to, um, he, he's, he's an expert, or I guess not an expert, he, he probably wouldn't call himself, but compared to you and I, he's an expert in the original languages. But um, he's, he's not talking about, right? So when you look at verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We see some, someone who is different than the original God, right? So God created the heavens and the earth. So he's referring to God in, in, in his person, 
And then just looking at the anguish, you can see that there is something or someone else, the spirit of God, that looks to be a separate entity. But mm. we also see that there is only one God, right? So that's throughout scripture. There is only, there's but only one God. Um, so we see this three in oneness. Uh, we've got we've got some interesting things happening in the comment section, and uh, to you know, Wes saying persona rather than person. I think this is going to be one of the discussions that we will continue to have. Is some of the argument over this theology is actually just over verbiage, mm -hmm. and uh, as much as possible, I try to seed that ground. So if people want to use different words. I tend to say, okay, fine now explain to me what the words mean. So, Wes, if you want to use a different word, that's fine. But the, the key question is, you know, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate that explanation of, of verse 2. I, I appreciate uh, Richard's comment, too. I think the simple reality is, and this, this does speak to the, the, the history of our denomination, non-Trinitarianism is something that you... Um, wouldn't necessarily encounter in a lot of other denominations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I and I had a I had a similar uh, background as as Richard. You know, I kind of I came to the, even before I was a Christian. I I had a, uh, I understood the Trinity a little bit. You know, as much as you really can at that point. But I I I never really knew that there were people who rejected the Trinity until I came into the Advent Christian denomination. I didn't even know that was a that that was a uh, a problem until. I got here. Yeah. Most, well, of, course, the world, most of the world. Yeah, that's because well, most I mean, of the world's not Christian. Right, right. Well, most, most of the world doesn't believe in uh, uh, Christ, if I if I yeah. have my numbers up to date. So, yeah. this, and, but this is where we do need to be careful about majoritarianism, even within our own denomination, right? So, we talked about the fact that most of the denomination is now Trinitarian. That's not what makes Trinitarianism true. It's not right. like you take a vote and then the vote becomes that which is true. Uh, right. I, I think the only point in bringing up those numbers is that it's becoming increasingly difficult to say that we are, in fact, a theologically diverse denomination. More and more, well, we are majoritarian, uh, Trinitarian, and there is an increasingly small minority of those who reject that doctrine. And it is a challenging question of what do we do uh, given given that situation. Now, Eric, well, it's, it's, it's because it's a foundational belief. It's It's like if we say, well, you can uh, perfect example. There was this. Uh, you follow James White, right? So you're mm -hmm. a fan of James White. He interacted with this person who uh, who on Twitter, right? The cesspool of all things in life. Um, essentially said, "Listen, I'm a Christian," but enlisted all of these Christian beliefs and said, "Well, I don't believe these things." It's like, okay, well, you can wear the label of a Christian, mm -hmm. but you're not a Christian. Like these are foundational beliefs, <laughs> you know. So. Um, you know, up to a point when you when you list all the things that are foundational to the faith and you reject all of them, mm -hmm. um, I mean, really, you're kind of like, you know, they give these people that are that are Democrats, but they act like Republicans, and then Republicans that act like Democrats, they call them dinos and rhinos. Uh, mm -hmm. It's almost like you're a, a, a sino, C-I-N-O, Christian in name only. Yeah, well, I, I think the other thing that has to be raised here is this question of the goal of the church, because uh, one of the things that has been brought up a few times already is this idea that we're dividing the church. And, and I, I do think we need to be careful about, you know, we should never be eager to divide, but uh, there is something to say for, okay, the, the goal of the church is in fact to preach the gospel and bring people to saving faith in Christ. 
Um, just by preaching the gospel, we are in fact uh, dividing. We, we are dividing between those who believe and those who do not believe, those who accept and those who reject. And so if the goal of the church, especially the Adventist Christian church, is just to have more people in the building, and we think the way that we're going to do that is by being uh, uh, either unclear or, or not binding about uh, really any theology other than it's funny, the distinctives, uh, it's, it's, for some people, those are the only things that they, that they insist on. Uh, which, by the way, are also dividing issues, as you can tell by the way that we're often greeted by other mainline denominations. Mm -hmm. um, the, the simple reality is the goal of the church is uh, to uh, glorify God and honor his word by preaching the gospel. And when you preach the gospel, there, you're automatically going to divide. Like There, there are going to be people who who do not want to be a part of your church because of what you teach. Right. If you teach anything, if you teach anything with any sense of authority. And so I think, I think we should be careful. Taking any type of stance on anything is right. by its nature. Uh, right. And, 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 so, and so we should not be eager to cause division. So, so we, I just, should, we should be vigorous and rigorous when it comes to teaching truth. And anytime you teach truth, wherever you draw that line, you, it is a dividing line. Yeah. So I, I do want to share, you know, I appreciate what Brian has to say. And, you know, he says it's only foundational to you if you think it's foundational. That's on you. Uh, yeah. OK, well, th that's fine. I, I, I understand his point, I think. But when you're preaching Christ and someone says, well, I, I don't really believe in his divinity to go, oh, OK, well, no worries like that. Don't worry. It might be like. In, in, in your worldview, Brian, what is foundational and why, right? So we think it's foundational because it's, it's littered on every page of scripture, right? So, so the, 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 the Bible seeps uh, or, or is leaking with Trinitarianism, right? It's, it, it's, it's pouring out of the pages of the word of God. And when you see it clearly, you go, well, of course it's foundational. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like do you and i used this analogy before okay if you reject the trinity and you reject christ then we're then we're saying like if you're a christian then you could be or excuse me if you're a muslim or a hindu then you can be an advent christian so so who so you know we call it foundational because it's a clear teaching of scripture that goes to the very nature of the one in who we're worshiping yeah right so but, if you say so if you say like if someone worshiped luke Right. I'm not saying anybody should worship Luke, but if they did and they said, but Luke is like the most sinful person I know. Right. You're assaulting his character. And, and that's going to be a belief for you that for those who actually worship him and believe that he's without error, that he is uh, that he, there's not a sinful bone in his body, that you're assaulting his character and the one in which they worship. You can't worship together. Yeah. You just can't because you're worshiping something completely different if we make jesus out to be anything other than god then we are worshiping someone different if you have people over here on one side that are they're worshiping jesus and and they believe in his divinity and on the other side you have people that don't believe in his divinity then you're not worshiping the same god that's what makes it foundation the the other thing too is i think brian your point actually sort of begs the question 
uh, because this is in some ways the debate. Um, it's not just about whether or not this is true. It is actually a question of whether or not it is foundational. Uh, and, and it seems to me, uh, it's not about rejecting Christ. Oh, right, right, right. So I, I, under, I understand the point that Brian's making here. Um, the, the reason that I find here, I'll, I'll go a bit personal here. The reason that I find this so important, Brian, is because when I, when I think about Christianity, when I think about being a Christian, it seems to me like the central figure is Christ, right? Not that that's the only thing the Bible has anything to say about, but the central figure of Christianity is Christ. So it would seem then that what we believe about Christ matters a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, I, in my view, and I'm an Advent Christian, right? I, I believe the distinctives, but it seems to me that what we believe about Christ is actually of greater importance than what we believe about, for example, the intermediary state of death or even the ultimate nature of punishment in hell. Now, those things are important. We're, we're not saying they're unimportant, but are, are we really going to say, as I've heard some Advent Christians, even Trinitarian, I've heard Trinitarian Advent Christians say this, say that those issues are of greater importance than the nature of Christ himself. So we can, I think we can, we can have... Uh, That's teetering on blasphemy. <laughs> I think we can have a robust discussion, Brian, about what the Bible actually teaches about Christ. I think we can have that that discussion, and I hope that we will. But at some point, we do need to at least agree that what the Bible teaches about Christ matters. Yeah. That's the part that blows me away. I can understand almost more someone who rejects the Trinity. Because I, I hear the arguments that they make. I think they're wrong, but I hear the arguments they make, and I can understand why they came to that conclusion. I actually almost have a harder time with someone who accepts the Trinity, or, or let's for, forget the word Trinity for a minute, accepts the divine nature of Christ, but says it's not important. Then I don't understand. Yeah, That's a, yeah, yeah. I mean, so and those are people that probably don't preach the gospel. Well, I, I, I mean, you, you can't, you can't, you can't preach the gospel and not believe in the supremacy of Christ. I mean, because central to the gospel is the supremacy, supremacy of Christ. But to Brian's point, yes, you are absolutely correct that that God being three in one, the Trinity goes far beyond the divinity of Christ. Absolutely, it goes to the divinity of all three persons of the Godhead. So they're all co-equal, right? So that's so we're talking about co-equalness and co-eternality. Eternal is that how you say it? Co- they're co-eternal, they're co-equal. They all share the same attributes, but they all operate in a different way. They all have they all have their own personality. Now, now I want I want to caution Wes here, and I I know Wes is a is a very deep thinker, so he probably doesn't need my help. But any, but you know your point, Wes, about personas being. Uh, a better representation because because they bring to mind the idea of manifestations. I do think we need to be careful here about avoiding modalism. Um, when when you talk about okay, three colors, three cor- three chords of uh, uh, three tones of a chord, the three parts of a seed or an egg. Um, Eric, is it is it Augustine who wrote the work where he 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 uh, 
makes a bunch of analogies to the Trinity. And then basically at the end of every chapter, he says, but this is why it's actually not like this. I, I think it's Augustine who, uh, one, one of, the, one of the, the great theological fathers, he wrote this work on the Trinity where he, he writes a bunch of analogies like Wes is bringing up. And at the beginning of each chapter, he says, this is how the Trinity is like this. But then at the end of the chapter, he says, this is where this analogy fails. Well, that also points to the uniqueness of God. Okay, we can't, we can't, here's the, our desire to try to understand everything, especially about God. Like, there's a sincerity there that, that speaks to our love and his calling on us, right? That, that he's our father, he's our creator, he's our redeemer, mm -hmm. he, he is the one who indwells us, that we have this sincere desire to know him more intimately, but we have to be able, be comfortable to live in, in a space in which not all of our answers or not all of our questions will be answered. Yeah. There is a level of tension there where there's a mystery to God that we won't know until eternity, until uh, his, his coming. So right. his second coming. So every, and I had this conversation with Bickford before he came on air, like there is no analogy that I have found that is within, that, that properly articulates mm -hmm. Orthodox belief in the Trinity. So the whole the whole H2O, you know, uh, liquid, gas and solid, that's heresy. Get burned <laughs> at the stake. OK, the whole uh, the, the what do you call it? The three leaf clover, you know, that's tritheism. Burn them at the stake. Uh, you know, let's, just to be clear, we are we will not be burning anyone. No, we won't. We, we love you all, and we're happy that you're having this discussion with us. But, but I appreciate the point Eric is making, which is that, and this, is, this will be the last thing that I say today. Um, so we're going to have this discussion, and we're going to root it in. So we started today with John 1, Genesis 1. We're going to go to a bunch of other passages, but, but let's, let's agree on this together. Let's agree that Scripture is the basis upon which we judge this doctrine. I, uh, that sounds like some sort of foundational belief. How dare you? I I, de I despair of the people who say uh, the Trinitarian can't be true because it doesn't make sense, as though their ability to understand the nature of God is that which determines truth. Uh, it, we, we should all agree that truth when it comes to the nature of God or any other doctrine is rooted in Scripture. And if Eric and I are wrong on this, we need to be corrected. But yeah. you got to correct us from Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. We don't have time to get into this, but Brian, I'm glad we're having this discussion because when you bring up, you know, it's funny, Eric, I feel like we're at least going to be touching on um, eternal functional subordination at some point in this conversation. Uh, what, one, of the, one of the things to, for us to discuss, I think, in this, Brian, is this idea of hierarchy. Whenever we, when we look at the, uh, the nature of Christ, we're going to see a lot of language about Christ submitting to the Father and obeying the Father and all that stuff. And I really think that a lot of the confusion over uh, this doctrine really comes, comes down to the exaltation of certain passages at the cost of others. So you might, you might be surprised to find that Eric and I actually accept what those other passages you're referring to teach. It's just a question of, are we going to accept those over and above these other ones or are we going to choose to believe both yeah the trinity man I, I think i think we just need to be careful when um 
we when we question God, and I tell I tell the people in my church like, sure, go question him, like go to prayer, go ask, go and expect answers. But to find the answers, you got to read his word. Mm-hmm. And I think that at times we can lack humility when we approach scripture and we seek to impose our own um, presuppositions on the text and what what the role of the expositor or the interpreter is is to mm-hmm. peel back as many of those presuppositions as possible and yeah. read the text uh, with the utmost humility yeah. and, and, that, and, and that admonition is just as strong for the trinitarian as for anyone else that it's important that we strip away those assumptions too i meant it towards myself oh are you okay yeah yeah so um you know i, I think i when we try to presuppose that we can understand all things from God, I think it, what it does is it shows a lack of humility on our part. Hmm. So I think, I think what we did today, because we're going to have to wrap up the show, is we, we have a nice outline of how we want to approach this moving forward. Here are the big questions that I heard today, Eric. Um, we need to look at the nature of Christ. We need to look at the nature of the Holy Spirit. I, I really don't think it's necessary for us to to look really deeply at the nature of the Father, because it seems to me that most of the non-Trinitarians agree on the nature of God when it comes to Father. But the, where, where the arguments come is when it comes to the nature of Christ, the nature of the Holy Spirit. And then the third question I heard is, why does it matter? So that seems to me those are the three things for us to address. Nature of Christ, which, by the way, we're going to have a special guest on Saturday. Um, what? Oh, yeah. yeah. No Thursday show this week. Yes, next no few Thursday weeks. show. You next gotta find week. something else to do on Thursday. The next three weeks, we're moving our uh, Thursday show to Saturday at 2 p.m. So we can have some special guests on. And this Saturday, we will have my good friend Troy McIntosh coming on to talk about the supremacy. McIntosh or Macintosh? Uh, it's McIntosh. There's no A. Uh, and and see, uh, maybe you pronounce it Macintosh, but I wouldn't know. Uh, but uh, trust me, he's a friend. I don't know how to say his last name, but I know him. So he, <laughs> Wait, you don't know how to say his last name? I know how to say his first name. Why does the last name matter? Oh, my goodness. Luke so my, good friend, my good friend Troy is coming on, and he's going to be talking uh, with us about the supremacy and divinity of Christ. So, boom, there's subject number one out. Uh, with a, we'll talk about Saturday. We encourage you to be part of that. Uh, and then we can tackle some of the other stuff in the coming weeks. I'm excited. Boom. Me too. I'm excited, man. And, hey, uh, tell, them, tell them what they can do. Oh, you can uh, uh, join the Bible Banter, join the Banter Club on our Patreon and get all sorts of extra goodies. You can follow us at facebook.com slash Bible Banter Show, and you can give us an honest five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Boom. None of those dishonest three. At this point, I think we got like three or four reviews. I'll take a dishonest three-star review at this point. (laughs) Um, So go ahead, look us up, subscribe too. That, That helps. Hey, we appreciate everybody participating in the show today. Let's continue the banter, as we like to say here, and let's stick to the Bible as the sole rule of faith and doctrine. By the way, we should tease that there could be an exciting show announcement coming soon. There will be an exciting, an exciting show announcement coming soon. You know what it is. You're just not thinking about it. Oh, no. Hey, by the way, if you want a good book on on theology and uh, understanding concise theology by J.I. Packer. It's written for the lay person. And uh, he has a tremendous chapter on the Trinity. 
so. you know every i feel like we're gonna this is gonna be here I'll, I'll i'll throw this at you after the show let's close the show and then i'm gonna ask you a question later peeps holla holla who am i